You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, Faith family. It's good to see you this morning. I'm glad to be worshiping with you. And uh, it is amazing grace that we're here to talk about today. It is unfailing love that has driven us to gather from so many different walks of life and so many different paths, so many different mistakes, successes, avenues, and God has brought us together around one single real true thing, and that is Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That is why we gather, that is why we sing, that is why we study the word to know him more rightly, to worship him because of who he is and what he's done and what he's promised to do. And we are here today to continue in that as we do every week. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We are continuing on in Paul's letter to Ephesus that the Holy Spirit led him to write. Uh, knowing that it's not just written to them 2,000 years ago, but it's written for us even today to be able to understand who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. And I promise you that this next section of Scripture that we're going to study over the next few weeks can, and if you will be listening and praying and asking the Lord to open your heart to it, it will change your life. This is a continuation of what Paul has been doing the entire letter. It started off with him in the first three chapters talking about all the truths about God, about what he's done for us, especially go back, you can read that prologue, the first 14 or 15 verses there that you see in the letter of chapter 1. And it shows you that it's all about God and for his glory, that everything he does is for his glory, and it's all done for our joy and for our salvation. And we see that as you go through the... all. The first three chapters, he's basically teaching us about what it means to be the church of Jesus, that we are a body of believers drawn together because of his sacrifice, because of his work to save us from the wrath that we deserve for our sin that would last for all eternity, that Jesus stood in the gap and took that wrath, our sin, upon his shoulders so that we could be brought into the family of God. All that demonstrated, and for what it means for us theologically, in the first three chapters. And then he switches gears halfway through the letter, and he begins to talk about the specifics of the pragmatics of what that means for us on a daily level, corporately and also individually. And we come now to a point in time where he gets even more specific in its application for us by giving us some examples of what it means that we have been redeemed and how the gospel changes everything, specifically with how it changes the way that we do and are families within the faith family. And we're going to start off today by looking at husbands and wives and those relationships and how they're changed. And let me just preface by saying today specifically, we're going to look at that from the wife perspective And let me say that I enter into this time with you always before the Lord, but now also in front of you because of the topic at hand, knowing that I am not a wife and I am a husband in training still, that I enter into this time with much trepidation to speak on these things. So if you would, listen with soft ears, with light hearts, but also asking the Lord to shape us according to this word. Let us go to him again in prayer before we even look into the word this morning together. Pray with me. Father, we need your grace and mercy always. 
and now. I pray that you'd work in our hearts to change us today, to help us to be better image bearers of your son Jesus, that you would shape us and change us into the people you created us to be. You'd reveal our sin, that you would lead us to repentance through the conviction of your Holy Spirit, and by your word, we would be changed in the power of your glorious Holy Spirit to be more like Jesus so that you receive all the glory and we get to be with you and enjoy you and one another forever. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for sending us Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And let me say this, thank you, Lord, on behalf of all of you in my own life, in my own family, thank you, Lord, for giving us husbands and wives, amen? It is a good thing, it is a good thing to be married. It is not a bad thing, and it is not something that we should take lightly. I'm not going to go into all the stuff that most of you know would be preaching to the choir about what marriage is, just to say in brief, we believe that by the scriptures, marriage is a union, a covenant between a man and a woman in the eyes of God for his glory that images the gospel of Jesus and is for our good. Paul does encourage people that uh, do not have that gift of marriage, that have the gift of celibacy to stay in that and to serve because he says you'll have more time for the gospel, basically, but... For those who are unable to do that, or those who are called to marriage, those who are covenanted with someone else, he gives a lot of instructions throughout his word, and all of them have two parts. We're going to look at those two parts today. It has a a part that points to God and his glory and his relationship with us, and, and it points to the horizontal relationships, especially between husbands and wives. And today we're going to look at verse 21 through 24 of chapter 5 that deals with wives. 21, it looks like it's from a previous section. It's actually a transition statement. And I want you to know that the next three verses after that that are for wives, notice, wives, that there's only three verses because it doesn't take you as long as it takes the men to get through the thick heads that we have. So there's nine verses for the guys and three for the ladies. Pay attention, fellas. And we're not only talking to wives today, we're going to be talking to the husbands Because there's a lot to do with how this works together. That's why verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now that word submission is a word that is not received well in our society. In fact, many would say it's an additional four-letter word in our society, to submit to another person. It's a word often associated with the idea of subjugation or control, negative aspects of the idea of it. But the biblical concept of submission in God-ordained relationships is quite the opposite of subjugation or control. It's about love and service, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Before we get any further, we have to put things in context a little bit. Look back with me at chapter 5, verse 18, and let me point to you what we see here as the kind of starter for all of this. In fact, when we get to verse 22 that says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, uh, you might see this as a loophole. It's not. But that word submit is not even there in the Greek. That's because it runs off of the word submit in the previous statement in verse 21. So we have to put it in context. So let's look at verse 18 on. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the command. Be filled with the Spirit, walking in the Holy Spirit. We spent a lot of time on that last week. If you weren't with us, I encourage you to go back and listen to that to get the context. And he goes on and says, four subordinate statements that are also command-like 
that come off of that being filled with the Spirit. One, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's the second, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Third, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, specifically, we're going to give some thanks for our spouses. And fourthly, most importantly in this transition part, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of fear. The word phobos in the Greek, where the word fear comes from, phobia. So submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He then leads in to the next three verses about wives submitting to husbands. Let me just preface a little bit more by saying everything that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is meant to be understood as acts of love and service that emanate from our relationship with Jesus. Everything comes out of that relationship. And because of Jesus' love and service towards us, we are to submit in love and service to one another. That's what verse 21 is talking about. This is the umbrella that covers everything we're going to talk about in this series Three different kinds of relationships. The first being wives and husbands. The second being children and parents. And the third being slaves and masters, really bond servants and masters, referring to what's most regularly known to by us in this day and age of our employment situations. Those we work for that support our living. And here, verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So he's saying submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then really in the Greek it just says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Carrying on that idea of submission. Now I want to break down this idea of submission because I know many of us are already bristling at it. I don't even like saying it because our society has pushed so hard against this idea, that we're kind of ingrained that this must not be right, and it must be culturally relevant just to the church 2,000 years ago, but not to us now. But I would disagree and point to a lot of things we're going to see today to show the opposite of that. So let me explain what we're going to do today. First, we're going to talk about what this means to submit and what it does not mean. I think that's very important to draw the distinctions. Secondly, we're going to look at the two reasons in this passage that God gives for submission in our marriage relationships. And third, we're going to see how the submission is one way that God can bring hope to the world around us. Can you believe that? What the society around us tells us is bad and controlling and subjugation, God is going to use for hope in the world around us, even in our marriages. The gospel truly changes everything, changes everything. And you may have come here today having been a part of a marriage that does not line up with what we're going to talk about today, and I'm here to tell you there is hope because the gospel can change everything. And Jesus is in the business of changing everybody. He wants you to be more like him because it brings you more joy. He wants you to enjoy your relationships to the fullest. You know, when I was... Younger and not married, I used to have this idea that had been pressed into my mind in very, by various means that when you get married, that it's kind of like getting attached to the old ball and what? Chain, right? I'm sure it sounds like I'm not the only one that was told that. I used to think to myself, how could anyone just be fine with being stuck with one person their entire life? Wouldn't you get bored in that relationship? Wouldn't you get bored emotionally 
relationally, physically, like all these different ways you get bored in it. And I had a professor that I was talking to one day, and he was so kind to me in my ignorance as we were talking about this. I was talking to him specifically because he had multiple times made some mistakes of breaking up with his girlfriend, and on the third time he finally got her back, he finally realized he should ask her to marry him. And she amazingly agreed. And they're still together, serving the Lord. But I remember him saying to me, he said, you've got it all backwards. You think that you're going to lose all your freedom if you get married to someone. That you're getting attached to the, quote, ball and chain. That you're going to lose all this freedom and you're, you're going to be more tied down in ways that you don't want to be tied down, that well, you'll lose all your joy. He said, but I would submit to you that the biblical understanding of marriage, a covenant relationship between a man and a woman before the Lord in marriage, that in that you will find freedom that far surpasses any freedom you have in singleness. And that you will truly experience joy to a depth that you cannot even imagine right now. It kind of rocked my world a little bit. Because I knew the guy, and I knew his wife, and I knew the joy that they had together. But here's the thing. When you covenant together in a marriage relationship, at that point in time, you experience a moment, at some point, if you're walking in Jesus, that you can have freedom in that relationship to be truly who you are, warts and all, and know that that person has committed to walk with you in life and to help you to become better and more like Jesus, and that you don't have to worry about the next day them leaving you because they've committed to you before God and Christ in the Spirit. And you can have true freedom to enjoy life without having to hide things, without having to, to act like you're not who you are, like, without having to conceal the things that you don't like about yourself and always worry about those things hindering a relationship because you know they've already accepted you in Jesus and they've committed to you for the rest of your lives. That's a huge, huge thing. And in that, we're going to talk today that when we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that wives are commanded to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. But what does submission mean and not mean? Let's talk about what it does not mean in the beginning of this. The command for wives to submit to your own husbands does not mean women are inferior in any way to men. Let's get this right. Every single one of us in this room, men, women, and children, old, young, lefties, righties, everybody are equal in essence and value before the Lord. Completely. Genesis 1, 26 through 28, the Bible shows us this. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. There's an equality there in value, in essence. And God blessed them, and God said to them, to both of them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We see it also in the New Testament in Galatians 3, 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So therefore, if you're in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Equal. Essence and value before the Lord. All the same value before the Lord. No matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've messed up, God loves you so much. He has proven it by placing infinite value upon your soul 
by giving up his only son, Jesus, to save you on the cross. So listen up. You are not inferior because you obey this command. It's not written because you're inferior. Secondly, what it doesn't mean is this command for wives to submit to their husbands does not infer that women should submit to any abusive behavior or that they should endure wrongdoing on behalf of their spouses or anybody else. People across the world in time have used this scripture to beat down women, to treat them wrong. And that is wrong, and we should not stand for it. Never should we verbally, physically, spiritually, emotionally do anything to anyone, especially, not especially, but on top of that, like even further, like just imagine your wives you committed to before the Lord. None of that should ever happen. And so we don't condone it. We're not okay with it. It's wrong. It always has been, always will be. All God-given authority has always been intended to be used in love and service. If, we, if all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, then Jesus is our first and primary example of what it means to show love and service to anyone, especially to those who have been mistreated. He defied society and culture regarding women and treated them as equal in essence and value, even to himself, which we know is crazy thinking, isn't it? Because he's God. Jesus did the same with children. He did the same with lepers. All those who were looked down upon in society and women in the time of the Bible were looked down upon in society. Many look at the Bible as, as a wrong book, can't be true or right or good or by a holy God because it shows things in it where, say, women are treated inferior. That's not God's okay with it. God sent Jesus to fix that. But it's true that all throughout society this has been the case. I mean, it wasn't even until the last century that women were able to vote in our very own country. And husbands have used this passage to beat down or beat on or treat unfairly their spouses, and it is wrong and not okay. Jesus never used his authority to do anything other than serve and love others. He washed the disgusting feet of his own disciples. He spoke to women, healed women when it was wrong in culture to do so. He made sure his mother was cared for in his last agonizing breaths on the cross. And then he loved and served so much that he died on the cross for all of our sins. That's the way that he has loved men and women and children. What a glorious Savior. But we are to submit to the authorities God has placed in our lives in everything until and unless such authority is used to contradict God's own rule and authority. In other words, if any person uses their authority over us to lead us into sin or to go against God's commands, then it's actually our responsibility to disobey those in authority in that moment. That's practicing our civil disobedience. Some examples might be if someone's hurting you or hurting someone else. You're not to obey them. Or if someone is encouraging you to step out relationally or to do something different you should not do and you know it's against the Scriptures. Or maybe... In any way that they might tell you that it's okay for them to treat you in this way because you're supposed to submit to them. If it goes against the word, it is not right and good. You should not obey that. That's when it's our duty to disobey that authority for God's glory. In fact, Acts 5.27, here's an example. 
When they had brought these disciples, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. This is confusing to some because the Bible says you should obey the authority, but now this authority is telling you to do something you shouldn't do, and so he says, We're going to obey God over that authority. So at this point, this is where it changes up. You're to submit to your husband, wives, but not if it leads into sin or anything that would go against the Scriptures, anything that would defame the name of Jesus. So we know what it doesn't mean, at least in a couple of parts. What does it mean then to submit? I know you're all on your toes waiting for this, right? We're to submit to authority just like we submit ourselves to Jesus. And one of the authorities in our lives, if you're a wife, is your husband. I don't know why God chose it to be that way. It's just the way that he chose it. Equal in essence, equal in value with differing roles. The Trinity is much like that as well. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all equal in essence and value, but the Son submits to the Father and the Spirit submits to the Father and the Son. Doesn't denigrate value or essence in any way. But the Bible says here in verse 23, Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So the first idea about what submission means is that a wife should submit to her husband because the husband is the head of the wife. That word head is the operative word here. Everywhere in the Bible where this word is used regarding relationship, it infers authority. Some have suggested that it actually means source and not authority, that the husband is the source of the wife, that she came out of the husband. And I'm here to tell you that that's not anywhere in the old stuff of the Greek outside of the Bible or in the Bible. In fact, all throughout Scripture, it points to authority when using the word head. And it also does so in the historical examples we have of that word used in the time that this was written. So that every time person A is the head of person B, it's talking about person A has authority over person B. So it is talking about authority. But 1 Corinthians 11.3 says this about it. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. God could have set up our relationships any way he wanted to, but this is the way he chose to do it. So wives, if you want to walk in obedience to the Lord, you should submit to the authority of your husband, not because you're lesser or inferior, because you're not. Not because you can't lead, because many of you would do it much better than we do. Not because you're not as smart or intelligent, because most of you are smarter than us. You've proven that over and over again. Right, guys? But because it's the way God set things up, and we trust him, and we obey what he says. Our ultimate authority. I'm going to take a drink of water. My mouth's a little dry. I'm nervous. This part will be easier. All right, husbands, let's talk for a minute. Are you ready, guys? Any authority that we've been given by God should never, ever, ever be used selfishly. And I stand before you as a man who has been selfish much in my life and in my marriage. I don't know about you, but the day I got married was the beginning of a sanctification process that I never imagined could happen. I never thought I could be sanctified through a relationship like I've been sanctified in my marriage. Sometimes because of the Holy Spirit, sometimes just because my wife knows better. Always God's intent and purpose. 
Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The authority that we have been given as husbands has an ultimate purpose and a penultimate purpose, a secondary purpose. The ultimate purpose that you've been given authority of your wives is so you can show the world the type of love that God has demonstrated for us in Jesus caring for us and dying on the cross. Your authority, my authority, has not been given to us so that we can control our wives or make her do what we want or to have her make us more comfortable. It's so that we may serve her and care for her. That's the ultimate reason, so that God is glorified because it points to how he's cared for us in Jesus. And secondarily, for our authority over our wives is to lead our wives to become more like Jesus by loving and serving them like Jesus has loved and served us. It's for them. It's for God's glory, and it's for them. So let me say that the first and greatest way we can do this, and we're going to talk a lot more about this next week. So if I see guys that are here today that aren't here next week, unless you've got a really good reason, I'm going to think you're ducking out, and so are your wives, okay? One of the primary ways, guys, in which we can exert this authority is by interceding on behalf of our wives before our Father. If we are not interceding on behalf of our wives, we are living in sin, brothers and sisters. Let me be very clear. Our job is to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We're going to talk about it more next week. It begins, I believe, with interceding on her behalf. That means we should be regularly, daily, praying for our wives, praying for her needs, praying for her concerns, praying with her, praying over her. And I will tell you, brothers, I struggle as you struggle in this. I used to be almost ashamed to pray over my wife because I felt like she was more spiritually profound than I was. And she is still. But the truth is, Our being given authority is to act like Jesus on interceding on behalf of our wives and our children and the rest of our family, moms, dads, cousins. But it starts, I believe, with our wives. There's a lot more ways we are to use the authority we've been given to love our wives that we'll get into next week. But if we're not regularly, daily interceding in prayer on behalf of our wives and children, we are living in sin. Nobody else is going to do it. If your wife isn't being prayed over by you, guys, nobody else is going to do it. God works upon the prayers of the saints. If we want to see our marriages flourish, if we want to see our wives become the women that God has created them to be, if we want to see our children grow up and become husbands and wives that emulate Christ, our responsibility is to intercede on behalf of our wives before the Father regularly, daily. Let us be guilty of spending too much time in prayer and not more time in other things. Let us become men who love our wives so much that we would never speak of them in harsh ways because God has daily broken our hearts for them as we pray over them. It is hard to speak harshly or not gently to someone. It is hard to, not, to treat them unfairly when you see the love that Jesus has for them and you see the, that love poured out on you as you pray for them. So let us 
intercede on their behalf continually. And when we love and serve our wives like Jesus has loved and served us, it will not be a chore for our wives to submit to our authority. So let us be like Jesus for the sake of our wives who intercedes on our behalf all the time. Maybe you're frustrated because your wife doesn't love you like you think she should. Then love her like Jesus and pray for her regularly and see if that changes anything. Really, it'll probably help all of us to think a little less of self and a little more of the other, which will mean we won't get so frustrated. Wives, let me say this. So don't make it hard for your husband to lead you. Submitting to your husband isn't, there's nothing in here that says if he does well all the time. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Regularly. Do you know making it difficult for your husband to lead you is actually a product of the fall with Adam and Eve? Did you know that? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, it says this. When he's doling out the results of the sin that's happened in the garden, God said to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, he already had that authority if you go back and look in chapters 1 and 2. So the authority is not given because of the fall, but the being contrary to one another is there. So ladies, don't give in to the sin which so easily entangles. Don't go back to drink from the well that you've been redeemed from. Instead, love your husband as Christ loved the church and submit to him as you submit to Christ. And guys, let me share something with you really quick. Submission doesn't mean that they do what you say all the time. In decision-making responsibilities, you should consult with your wife and counsel with her all the time. You should listen to her. She's smarter than you most of the time. And you should take in what she says. You should go to the Lord together for that decision-making process. I learned something a long time ago from another pastor as I was listening to him talk about this kind of stuff. And he said, I only exercise this type of authority where I actually kind of say, do, you need to do what I'm saying today. He says, I only do that in the most extreme situations when I believe that what my wife's decision is or what she wants to do is not what I believe prayerfully, sincerely that God wants us to do. He said, and so every other decision in our lives, I try to always let her have the decision. I try to always do what she wants so that 99.9% of the time, it's really easy for her to submit to my leadership because I say, sure, honey. Some of you are like, oh, man, he just say that out loud. Yeah. And I struggle to do this as well. But when that 0.1% of the time comes where you have to make a decision, you earnestly believe that God is leading you in a different direction than what your wife may feel, you can say, honey, let's pray some more about it. Let's seek the Lord. And you continue and you continue and you say, you still can't come to agreement. You can say at that point, I really believe this is best for God's glory and for you and me and for our family. Will you please trust me? And that'll make it a lot easier for her to trust you in that moment and submit to your leadership. It doesn't mean you're going to be right. It just means it'll be easier for her. Okay. A lot there. We're going to get back in and run through it. You ready? Some of you are still with me. Some of you are just can't believe we're saying these things. So wives, you should submit to your own husband because he's the head 
the authority that God's placed in your life, but also because Jesus is the head of us all and our Savior. Look at verse 23 again. For the husband, the foreword means because. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. One more, husbands. Listen to this. A quote from John Stott. He says, Jesus' headship expresses care rather than control responsibility rather than rule. The truth is endorsed by the surprising addition of the words in this verse as is himself and is himself its savior. The head of the body is the savior of the body. The characteristic of his headship is not so much lordship in this verse as saviorship. He is the Lord, but it's talking about the savior. He is emphasizing the Holy Spirit through Paul is emphasizing his saviorship. So ladies, the first reason you're told to submit to your husband is because of the created order. And the second reason is because of your redemption. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. When you submit to your husbands, it is a very clear way you can demonstrate to him and the world that you submit to Jesus. This is not only a duty as it's commanded to us, but it's an opportunity to share the glory of salvation we received in Jesus. It's also a way that we can build up our faith families, Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says, just, just earlier than this. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see? When we do what we're supposed to do, it shines light on the glory of Jesus, and it builds up the body. That means you're, this is crazy, you're submitting to your husband makes the church better. We'll get to the other part next week, which is the guy's part. Okay, hear me. It's just, just talking to ladies in the moment, okay? Hang with me. When you submit, like you do to Jesus, to your husband, it actually builds up the body of Christ. You see, the gospel truly changes everything. It changes everything. Think about it. You're hanging out with your girlfriends, and an opportunity comes up for you to speak into how you love to submit to your husband. You ever done that before? Hang with me. People will look at you like you're crazy. Those ladies might look at you like you're crazy. But then you get to point out to them how you're submitting to him is made easier because he loves you like Jesus. You can point out to them that you submit even when it's not easy because Jesus submitted himself for you on the cross. Somebody can say, well, how can you live with that man who doesn't treat you well? I've seen how he treats you. And you can say, look, you know what? He, he struggles. He messes up. But I'm loving him because Jesus first loved me, and I'm going to love him until Jesus takes me home or until he saves his soul, or until he changes him to love me like Jesus. Remember, I'm not saying that you stay in an abusive relationship. I'm not saying that you submit yourself to those types of things. What I am saying is that you might be a part of changing someone else simply because you submit to your husband's authority as you submit to your Lord Jesus Christ. It's not always easy, but it's always worth it. 
Maybe you're thinking to yourself, my husband doesn't love me like Jesus, like we just talked about. Maybe you're thinking that it's really hard because you don't know my husband. I don't even know if he's a Christian, at least not by the evidence you see at home. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, I'm going to read the first couple, give some instructions here. Listen to this and make the notes, write this down, and maybe memorize this, ladies. It could be really good for your hearts in moments that are trying in this way. Just listen. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that, here's the reason why, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Notice it talks about submitting and then respect. I think, I think that when you go later on in this scripture passage in Ephesians chapter 5, you see at the very end of that passage, verse 33, it says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's a summary statement. And he doesn't say respect in the first few verses. He says submit. And I think that is the, the, the contingency here of submit and respect. Those are two things. And I think that's some of the hardest things for, and it, biblically speaking, I don't know from experience, okay, ladies, so I'm not putting myself in your shoes. You hear me, Pusha? I'm not doing that, okay? Okay. But biblically speaking, from the fall, it seems that the hardest thing is to respect and submit to the authority God has placed in your life, who is your husband, because of the sin that rages within us. And for a guy, we're going to get this next week, the hardest thing, guys, is for you to love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's why he doesn't command you to respect. Guys give respect easy to people. But they don't love very well. We don't love very well. We need Jesus to change us. The ladies here, I almost titled this sermon R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Because I think that it's meaning the same. Submitting to your husbands is to respect them, whether or not they deserve it, but because Jesus has said to. When we become believers, we are not promised an easy life, despite what many false preachers tell us. This is not your best life now. That's going to come later, by the way. Right now, we're called to serve one another and love one another so that when people see us, Somehow or another, they get the image of how Jesus could love them. And there probably is no greater example of the gospel that God has given us than to be married to one another and love each other like Jesus loves us and to submit to authority the way that we should submit to Jesus, the way he submitted to his own father. And so there's no greater opportunity that we have, church, than to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and wives this week, submit to your husbands to point to the glory of God in the face of Jesus who submitted to his own father to the cross in order to save our souls. And maybe, just maybe, maybe you submitting will lead someone to Jesus. Glory to the Lord that he would use us in such ways. And guys, let's make it easy for our wives to do that by loving them the way Jesus has loved us, by giving our lives daily picking up our cross, following Jesus, praying for our wives, and loving them as Christ has loved us, and loved us and gave himself up for us. The gospel truly does change everything. And this gospel is truly our only hope. Our only hope. Father, we need you always.
We need you right now. And I pray that as we are before you together, that I know that you have brought conviction in my heart this morning. I pray that you would lead us to repent. That even though our words may not be fine and eloquent, that you know our hearts and you can lead us to repentance. And you forgive not by our ability to speak or by even our desire to change, but you forgive because of the precious gift of your son Jesus who died on the cross in our place that we might be restored to relationship with you. And today I know, Lord, there may be relationships in this room, marriages that are distraught, that are on the rocks that are not going well. And I don't know, Lord, what those reasons would be, but you do know. And maybe it's because a wife doesn't like to submit or struggles with submitting. And maybe it's because a husband's not loving well. But I know you can change anything. You sent someone who came to bring change and transformation for your glory and our joy. So I pray this morning, Lord, that you would impact our lives in such a way that we begin to love one another and you more by submitting to one another out of reverence for your son, Jesus. And that our wives would find it easy to submit to the authority that you have placed in their lives, who is us, because that authority is meant to love and serve them. Lord, help us all. We need you. And if there's anyone here, Lord, that does not yet know you in a saving way, I pray that you would bring them to repentance for the first time, that they would give themselves to you because you gave Jesus for them. And I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.